Welcome to Tentpole Trauma, the podcast where we look at movies that came with hype and high hopes, but left with crushing disappointment, either critically, at the box office, or both. Freed from the weight of expectations, we seek to examine these underperformers under a new light, parsing through the good, the bad, and everything in between with the hopes of gaining a better understanding as to why they failed to find their audience. Warning, there will be spoilers, so if you haven't seen the movie that we're discussing today, I suggest you stop the podcast and go watch it. Then when you come back and listen, you'll get more out of the discussion. On this episode, we discuss Blade Trinity. Blade, ready to die. I was born ready, motherfucker. And I'm here with Jennifer. Hello. And welcoming back to the podcast, VQ. Always bet on black. <laughs> VQ, it's been a while since we had you on. You have something that you want to plug on the show? Uh, man, my podcast with my brother Fully Love, man, Fear of a Black Film Critic. Yours truly. And uh, yeah, we record every Saturday in our shows uh, every Monday on Spotify. So yeah, I got to step my. Uh, my production game up a little bit or promoting it a lot better but right now you're just gonna find it on spotify that's it shout out to uh chuck d and public enemy man in fact uh my brother c doc who is uh kind of a unofficial member of pe told me yo shout roll with it. since you're already a pe fan and you know chuck and you know the crew go ahead and do it just <laughs> just take this roll with the name so that was it so shout out to c doc all right, well, we're not here to talk about Public Enemy, though. Uh, 
maybe we should. Maybe we should. <laughs> We're here to talk about Blade Trinity, the 2004 film by David Goyer. But before we get into that, I'd like to talk a little bit just about the Blade franchise in general, uh, the two films leading up to that. VQ, uh, what is your take on the Blade movies? Well, first of all, I've never read the comic. I just remember seeing the trailer for the first film, and it was like, oh, man, this shit's going to be bomb as hell. You know what I mean? Uh, I kind of feel like the first Blade movie, at least for me, was uh, Return of Wesley Snipes, because up until then, he had some pretty bad ones. I'm talking about Murder 1600, Art of War, Drop Zone. None of those movies were good, in my honest opinion. But when Blade came out, I was like, yeah, okay, I'm fucking with this one. I felt like that movie was tailor-made for Wesley, you know, and I know prior to Blade, he wanted the Black Panther. <laughs> right. And that never really got off ground, so for him to do this, I was like, I was a little disappointed. I didn't really know too much about Blade, right? But when I seen it, I was like, oh, man, this was shit. And I remember going Friday afternoon when it dropped, and the house was packed. I remember it was brothers sitting up in front of me. They was kung fu in it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Talking back to the screen, it was real live. So I said, "Okay, Wesley got a hit on his hands." And I remember, you know, talking to a couple guys that were into martial arts and everything, and uh, like, "Yeah, this is a uh, official. It's, it's Wesley's return." Because up until then, it was just like Wesley was putting out some bombs, man. Didn't really care for two. I liked it, didn't love it, but you know, it was a way better than. Uh, Butterknife, a.k.a. Uh, Blade Trinity, though. Well, I um, am a big fan of this franchise, and I came to it not knowing anything about Blade. Uh, I remember I didn't see the first movie in the theater, but I did catch it on video. I was actually recording at a friend's house, and he had it on video. And I was just trying to, like, you know, uh, unwind after the night, and so I threw that in and watched it. And I was like, damn, this movie's good. So by the time the second Blade came out, I was all on board, and I saw that one in the theater, and I really liked that one. And I did see Blade Trinity in the theater as well, but I'll save my thoughts until we start talking about the movie. However, I'm also a big Marvel Comics reader, and up until that point, I had not actually read any comics with Blade but I got into um, the House of Dracula comics from the 1970s. I got a big uh, compilation of all those comics, and I got to read uh, Blade's first appearance because he first appears in House of Dracula, which is why in this movie, uh, Ryan Reynolds shows Blade the House of Dracula comic, and Blade is like, what is that bullshit or whatever. <laughs> so it's interesting because, um, you know, the character of Blade was created in the 1970s by Marvel Comics, and he was very much sort of influenced by um, black exploitation movies and stuff. There are a lot of Marvel Comics characters that they sort of, you know, were inspired by the black exploitation movement and stuff like that. So he, that character is very much drawn out of that. But it's cool because Wesley got to do his own thing with it and he kind of brought the martial arts to it because, um, as I'm sure you know, Wesley's a big martial arts fan. And I think that, you know, one credit that you can definitely give him is bringing that element to it. And like the first Blade it comes out before The Matrix and The Matrix definitely uh, draws a lot from the first Blade movie or, or if they didn't intentionally, they were, you know, in the same headspace or whatever. 
Jennifer, I know you don't really have a big history with the Blade films, but what is your take on the first two movies? Well, I yeah, I don't have history with the, with the Blade films until recently. I am a fan of Wesley Snipes though, and I did see I saw Murder at sixteen hundred in the theater. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I I seen them all. I saw Rising Sun. I, I love a good nineties thriller, so I was all over those. I love I love him in Passenger fifty seven. I love White Men Can't Jump. Um, we just recently rewatched New Jack City, oh. and yeah, I just I'm I'm a fan of his. I, I don't even remember, and I was talking to Smash about this. I'm like, it just wasn't on my radar at all because I wasn't, I didn't read comics, and I don't know what I was doing when this came out. But I mean, I knew of Blade, obviously, but I mean, the the way that I was, I looked at it, and I was telling Sebastian this as well. I was like, totally getting it confused with with Underworld because they kind of look, they look kind of the same as far as the the coats and the, you know the the fighting and the kind of action horror type thing but having seen i have seen at least like one underworld and then watching the blade movies i i can see where i got that from now but i do like blade um i liked uh the first one a lot i like the second one too i i was like okay this is good too i, I kind of feel like it's the, the same type scene just you know it feels like a sequel it works uh, we'll get into Blade Trinity, but that was a whole different thing. Yeah, I mean, Blade 2 obviously is directed by Guillermo del Toro. The first movie was directed by Stephen Norrington. But Blade 2 is definitely kind of more of a monster movie. It's got more of a monster movie vibe, kind of less of the black exploitation vibe. So it's a different thing, but I do appreciate what it's doing. And I like the uh, Reapers, the uh, new vampire killing vampires. I think they're... A cool addition, very Guillermo del Toro. You brought up New Jack City, right? I just discovered this uh, the other day because I watched it. I had a little mini uh, Wesley Snipes marathon. <laughs> Vin Diesel is in New Jack City. He's a, he has a little part. Uh, he plays the uh, one of the bouncers at the Spotlight Club. I said, wait a minute. I had to roll that back. I said... Is that what I think it is? Oh, I said, oh, no. You have such a good eye for spotting people in these things all the time, VQ. Right. I'm like, wow, it's a trip. So seeing Vin Diesel as a, as a bouncer is uh, pretty hilarious. And seeing him with hair. But they yeah. think, but, you know <laughs> what I'm saying? So, but if I may, real quick, people don't really understand the importance of Wesley Snipes, right? People are just like, oh, well, you know, he's just another actor, does martial arts. But for guys like me, Wesley Snipes, I mean... You know, in the 80s, you know, of course, you know, you had Eddie Murphy was the man. You know, he's doing, you know, Beverly Hills Cop movies and The Golden Child. And then, on, you know, Canon movies, you had, you know, Steve James. Uh, smaller screen, you know, you had Mr. T and then Carl Weathers tried his hand at action movies. But in the 90s, especially around 89, 90, and 91, there was a kind of black cultural movement that was going on with the music. And in cinema, you know, of course, you had Spike Lee leading the pack. You had Robert Townsend. And then also you had Public Enemy <laughs> on the music scene. And, you know, Poor Righteous Teachers and all these groups that were coming out. So there was a real sense of black pride that was going on. And while we had Denzel doing, you know, big movies, you know, playing the doctor, the lawyer, the family man, you kind of needed that ass kicker on screen. And... While I like Eddie, going back to Eddie Murphy for a second, I kind of felt like a lot of his movies were really written, written for white actors. They just put Eddie Murphy in it, right? Like, they, you don't get a sense of, like, a black person put that stamp on it, except just Eddie Murphy, right? 
So when Wesley came out with New Jack City, it was like, oh my God, this guy here, royalty. <laughs> All right. And I remember sitting, you know, Thursday night watching New Jack City with my mother. And she's who's a big Denzel fan. And she goes, Woo, that Wesley. <laughs> <laughs> and when I when I heard that, I said, okay, Wesley is the man now. And then for him to go after that and do Pastor 57 and for him to do White Man Can't Jump, he was on a roll. And he may, and the reason why I say he's so important is because there was a point where, you know, racially mixed black men or you know, light-skinned black men were considered sexy. Dark-skinned men were considered like, oh, man, you know, ah, you're, you're playing thug number one or robber number one. But what Wesley did, he made dark men sexy. Again, he had, it was like okay. Now every sister was like, "Woo, I'm giving me a <laughs> give me a Wesley Wesley Snipes type." You know what I'm saying? So it was like, so he is really the changing of the guard, right? It's weird because my first exposure to Wesley Snipes, I was working at a uh, movie theater, but it was kind of like an art house movie theater, and we got uh, Jungle Fever. Right. And I mean, I knew he was a big star. I knew who he was, but I hadn't seen New Jack City at that point. So I first saw him in Jungle Fever and I was like, okay, well, this guy's like, you know, the real deal. He's a serious actor and all that. And and it's not that he's not a serious actor, but I didn't get it that his trajectory was going to be kind of action guy. I was yeah. just like, oh no, he's just like a dramatic actor. So for me, I was kind of surprised when he started doing, you know, Passenger 57 and all that. I was like, oh, okay. So that's his thing, I guess. And then when Blade came out, I was like, okay, now I get it. Right. And, you know, and one thing I like about Wesley, unlike, let's say, Steve James, right? And this is no disrespect to that brother, rest in peace, but, you know, a lot of these guys that do martial arts and are known for martial arts kind of get stuck into the martial arts genre. Wesley came in in dramatic movies, you know, Streets of Gold and, you know, doing the bad video with Michael Jackson and, you know, Wildcats and all these things, right? So he was getting his acting weight up. It was then later in the 90s, you go, okay, he can be a leading man. Then he can do comedy. And then when he starts to showcase his martial arts, like, oh, shit, this is next level. <laughs> right? So it's like, oh, man, this dude is, is, is a triple threat. That's what I think is so important about uh, that Wesley brought to cinema. You know, he, he not only can he kick ass, but he's, he can act, too. Most martial artists, I'm sorry, cannot act. Van Damme, I'm looking at you. So, uh, so, you know, it's, it's, so it's, you know what I mean? So it, it was like, oh man, you know, this dude, you know. and you know, he brought a flavor to the game that has been, have not been matched. You know, you know, you look at, you know, the Fred Williamson's and Jim Brown's now granted, I wasn't, you know, I was born late seventies, so I didn't get to see the black exploitation movement. Right. Well, I kind of felt like some of the performances that they're doing back then were kind of phoned in and a little hammy at times and maybe. I had to be there to really understand it, but Wesley brought the energy of the ball courts, the cars, the barbershops, was, you know, nightclub, all that flavor that you see, he brought it effortlessly, right? So it's like, it's still unmatched to this day. Michael Jai White, and a lot of people like to say, well, what about Michael Jai White? Nah, he doesn't have the charisma like Wesley has. No, he doesn't have that. Wesley's the whole package for yep. sure. 
Unfortunately, the movie that we're talking about <laughs> on this episode is kind of the beginning of the end. It's kind of where his downfall starts. I mean, after this movie, I don't remember if he does many big movies after this, but then he had that, you know, money trouble and the tax evasion and he ended up going to prison for a while. And unfortunately, Wesley has been out of the game for a little bit. I, I think he's coming back. I think he's got some roles um, that he's going to be doing soon and whatnot. I hope he gets to make his comeback because he definitely deserves it. But unfortunately, the movie that we're talking about is kind of a, a bad point for him because he not only does his troubles begin after this, but this movie had a famously uh, troubled production. Now, just a little bit of background on the Blade franchise. All of the Blade films were written by David S. Goyer, who has gone on to big fame and fortune. He wrote the Chris Nolan Batman movies. He's done countless uh, comic book adaptations at this point. And he really came to fame after the first Blade, because when that movie hit, it was a big hit. And then he started getting all these writing gigs. So he writes the first Blade. He writes the second Blade, and Guillermo del Toro directs it. So for the third Blade, they had some other director, and that guy uh, dropped out. And so David Goyer, the writer, decided he was going to try his hand at directing it. He had done a smaller film before, so I guess he thought that he was going to be able to do this. Now, this caused some problems with our man Wesley because Wesley did not approve of David Goyer taking the reins as a director. So right off the bat, there was a lot of tension between them. And this movie's production, the set was really uncomfortable for the whole time. Um, Patton Oswalt, who plays a very minor role in this movie, did an interview a few years back, and he talked a lot about what it was like on the set of this movie. Apparently, um, you know, Wesley was so unhappy that he stayed in his trailer most of the time smoking weed. And uh, they had to shoot most of his scenes with a body double because he wouldn't even show up for that. Patton Oswalt talks about how the wardrobe was just whatever wardrobe they owned. Like they all just wore their own clothes. And one of the other cast members who was a black individual, he had a shirt of the band Garbage. It was his own shirt and, and he wore it um, to the set. And Wesley got pissed because he was like, the only other black person here is when you put him in a shirt that says garbage. And he called David Goyer a racist. And like David Goyer had nothing to do with that. And then he was really unhappy with the fact that the script was showcasing these two new characters because they wanted to take these two characters, uh, Hannibal King and Whistler's daughter, and they wanted to do a spinoff of them. And so Wesley wasn't happy about that. Apparently, when Ryan Reynolds is kind of making jokes and stuff, that's just because Wesley wasn't there and they had to do something. <laughs> and also, uh, apparently, Natasha Leone, who plays a character in this, she was going through a really rough time. And so she was really emotional <laughs> and... Uh, she would get really emotional around Wesley and Wesley was just not into it at all. And it, like one time she tried to like touch his face and he, he like, 
pulled back and got really scared or something by her. I mean, the way Patton Oswald describes it, it, it does sound like kind of funny. Like he, he doesn't really talk shit about Wesley. He's just like, Hey, this is what it was. And it was kind of hilarious. He was like, I didn't care. You know, I had DVDs to watch. If Wesley didn't want to show up, I was fine with it. You have to kind of take that into account when you watch this movie, because you can tell there's something off going on with this movie on the set. If I may, uh, you know, because now, you know, Wesley responded to that, right? And said, none of that is true. So tell us what Wesley said. Uh, real quick, he just said that, you know, basically he denies what Patton Oswalt said and that, you know, well, first of all, Patton Oswalt said that Wesley went and choked David Goyer. Wesley Snipes said, let me tell you something. There's no way that a black man with muscles choking out, choking out a white director is possible. I would be in jail today. So that never happened. So, uh, you know, he just said that Patton Oswalt is not the authority. Uh, no, he is the authority on me being sarcastic. But he just said that a lot of stuff that he's saying never did happen. Right. You know, he never smoked weed. Uh, yeah, he did communicate with David Goyer uh, by posting uh, because I guess... Part of the crew was moved to, I guess, another section of, of I don't know, of the set or whatever. So it, he said he didn't have a radio, so he had to communicate with post-its. Okay, so be it. But he's also said, Wes is like, look, man, I had the authority. You know, I did the hiring. I had script approval. So if I needed to talk to him like a boss, I had to. So, uh, but I really don't believe the whole choking out bit by Patton. I think Patton is doing a little lying. And I've know a couple people that work with Wesley Snipes, especially within the stuntman world and, you know, and, and my brother Ben Ramsey, all stated Wesley is 100% professional. So I don't know where all of a sudden he becomes this, this madman. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's just ridiculous. And also, let me state this too, because I know David Gore gets a lot of credit for screenwriting of the first Blade in particular. A lot of that was Ernest Dickerson. He never got credit. Yeah, I mean, I knew that because um, when I was working at Cinephile Video, Ernest would come in a lot, the great director, Ernest Dickerson, and he had a lot to say about Blade because he knew we were fans, and he told us about how he was the one who originally brought the movie to the studios, and he was originally going to direct it, but like what happens with a lot of things, uh, he didn't get to do it. Got to direct it seven, too. I don't know if he told you about that one. <laughs> no, he didn't tell me about that. He said uh, New Line was getting ready to throw the script in the garbage, and he got it and read it and said, hey, you know what? I like this, and I know how it should look and everything, and why don't you cast Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman? And uh, after he said that, his agent called and said, hey, man, you know, you're the first guy to talk to himself out of a job. He goes, what he did? He goes, you know, they liked your ideas for Seven, going with David Fincher, and they got Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman. Wow. So oh. there you have it. <laughs> Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> it's rough. Yeah. Well, why don't we talk about the movie that we got, Blade <laughs> Trinity. <laughs> Now, um, this movie begins with a prologue where we get three vampires going to Iraq to unearth Dracula. <laughs> it's a really weird scene. And one of the vampires, the one who's sort of leading the charge here, the character of Danica, is played by an actress that I personally love, Parker Posey. Now, 
one might say that Parker Posey's a kind of miscast in this movie. <laughs> However, I'm going to take my pleasures where I can get them. And she is so hilariously over the top in this movie. I just have to say I kind of love her, even though she doesn't really fit in too well. I love her, too. And I'm a, I'm a huge fan. She's just great. She's got like the best comedic timing and just her delivery with things. It's just, it's always a, a, a delight. But yeah, it, it was, it took me a minute to get used to, to <laughs> seeing her as Danica the vampire. I was like, this is a reoccurring theme for me throughout Blade Trinity, is just trying to get my head around what's going on and, and the people that are involved. Well, she was like uh, Miss Indy for a while, right? Yeah. Yep. VQ, how do you feel about this whole Dracula thing? Uh, it's ridiculous, man. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, damn, that's like throwing rocks at a prison. You know, eventually, that, that's not a good idea, man. I mean, if anything, it looks great. That opening scene with the helicopters coming down and uh, and all that, it's awesome. But that I love the monster, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. I mean, that monster, yeah, they, uh, but we'll get into uh, Dominic Purcell a little bit later, but, <laughs> but yeah, I just love the way the monster looked and uh, definitely the set and everything, but it's not a wise decision to go uh, digging up Dr Dracula. It's not going to be good. You mean Drake? Drake, yeah. <laughs> I'm with you, VQ. I like the monster. I just wish we got to see more of him. We don't, we only get to really see him like really two times, like big time out of the whole film. Yeah, it's almost like he looked like an Optimus Prime version of Dracula. You know, I'm just like, my God, is he transformed? <laughs> my man was transformed, had the little body armor and everything. I was like, oh, wow, you know. I just like the monster, but uh, the actor who played Drake, uh, not so much. He sucks. <laughs> I hate him as a Dracula. <laughs> Having Blade face off against Dracula makes a certain amount of sense just because Blade originated in the Dracula comics. So, you know, I see where the thinking is going. They've had two movies. They want to build it up to the big bad and who's badder than Dracula in the world of vampires. Oh no, didn't originally that uh, it was supposed to be like a I Am Legend type of story, a kind of a post-apocalyptic type of movie Yeah, with just Blade, you know what I mean? And then Blade going up against Dracula, I thought that would have been great, but unfortunately, you know, <laughs> that didn't happen. Well, and I mean, Jen pointed out while we were watching these movies that there's a sort of Euro-trashy element <laughs> <laughs> to all of the Blade movies. I mean, right. the first movie, you get Udo Kier and Steven Dorff, and they're very sort of Euro-trashy vampires. Then in, in part two, you get um, Luke Goss from the Euro-trash band Bros as one of the vampires. So they kind of are always kind of in that zone, but this Dominic Purcell portrayal is just a little too far i mean when he's actually in his human form he's wearing like an open shirt and you just see his chest pectorals the whole time and <laughs> it's really rough i mean he's got the size and he's sort of intimidating so i kind of get why they cast him but come on this is nobody's idea of Dracula. I'm sorry. Not at all. It's not. It's not. And I was just like, yeah, why? That's what I said. We're watching this. I was, I was like, why does Blade have to fight the douchiest vampires all the time? <laughs> like, these are like, they just, uh I mean, I love Steven Dorff in the in the first one. Don't don't get me wrong, because I'm a fan of his. That's what I feel like the first two movies suffered was the villains, in my honest opinion. You know, uh, Luke Goss, I mean, that was the poor man's 
<laughs> Jason Statham, but I wasn't really feeling him. But I do like his makeup in that film, though. But uh, this guy here, this Dominic Purcell, man, I mean, yeah, he had no personality whatsoever. And what's up with the wrestlers in this movie? Yeah, we got Triple H as one of Danica's hench people, hench vampires. So, yeah, it, they just seem to be really leaning into trying to come up with people who are physically intimidating to go against Wesley. But they're also throwing a lot of new characters at us, too. So the whole thing just feels kind of crowded with too many people. I mean, the characters that we like from the first movie get sort of lost. Let's talk a little bit about the setup here. We get this weird extraneous scene where there's like a talk show and Eric Bogosian is the host in the one scene he's in the whole movie. And we get one of the guys from the Waiting for Guffman crew is yeah. like has a psychologist. We're later going to find out he's actually one of the familiars. But they're basically just trying to, I guess, reset the audience to understanding Blade because they end up talking, I want to talk about this Blade character or whatever. But it's completely an extraneous scene. And I have to say, there's sort of a feeling of this whole movie that it just kind of feels a little out of control. It doesn't seem focused and going in one direction, where the other two movies seem really focused. Yeah, the first 20 minutes of this movie is awesome. After the interrogation scene is where the movie kind of loses its steam a bit for me. Yeah, in the, the beginning, we get a cool uh, car chase with Blade. We finally get to see him use his uh, car. What is it, like a Dodge Charger or something? Yep. And we haven't really seen him get to use that in any of the other movies. So we get this kind of cool chase, and he's after these two vampires, and he ends up getting them, but one of them is not actually a vampire. It's a familiar and he kills the familiar, meaning he kills a regular human. And Danica gets that on tape. So that goes out to the media. So the setup here is good that Blade is now going to be hunted because he killed a person. And like, it's funny because Blade totally does not give a shit. Why aren't you Ash? <laughs> Whistler gives him a hard time. Whistler played by Chris Christopherson where he's like, well, Blade, you did it now. Now we're in trouble or whatever. And you can just see that Blade does not care. He's like, well, it was a familiar. He's dead. Move on. <laughs> I do really appreciate, like, you know, I know y'all were both talking about, you know, how the set was or wasn't or whatever, you know, with, with, with different takes on that. But I do appreciate that Wesley Snipes does seem like more than ever. Because that's kind of Blade's MO, I, I think, is just having watched all of these movies in a row where he's kind of he doesn't give a fuck about it at all ever he's just kind of like whatever i'm just doing what i'm doing and i like that about the character but i feel like in trinity like it's a take it to another level where he's really just like he's just kind of fed up and annoyed with a yeah. lot of things that are going on this is a movie that i can say has the most people that i like as actors generally like i was like oh i'm like oh natasha leone i'm like oh Patton oswald like hey he's funny da 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 oh ryan reynolds i love him and boy i don't like any of them in this yeah. film and it's such a bummer because i'm like it's but it's like they feel like such like not supposed to be here no one of these people should be here yeah i cannot stand ryan reynolds i'm sorry not a fan I liked him in Smoking, was it uh, Smoking Aces? I tolerated him in, uh, what's that? Well, you know, Free Guy. But sometimes, man, I feel like 
know, is he acting or is he at the improv? You know, it, it seemed like his comedy is just all bits. <laughs> He's doing bits the whole time. It's like, dude, money, take it down about few. You know, you don't need to be the center of being Mr. Funny Guy. But it was just like this guy here, man. It was like Ryan Reynolds unleashed. You know, it was it was too much, man. Yeah, I feel like he's his most Ryan Reynolds uh. in this movie that he's ever been. And it's definitely, for me, mostly missing. I like Ryan Reynolds just fine in the right thing. Like, right. I like him as Deadpool. I think he's perfect as Deadpool. He can be great, but in this movie, it's too much. There's just too much Ryan Reynolds making jokes, and I don't really think any of them are all that funny, honestly. I don't think any of them are that funny, and I am a Ryan Reynolds fan. <laughs> I, have, I have to also say I love him in one of my favorite holiday movies that's coming up is Just Friends with him and Amy Smart, and he is hilarious in that. It's it's just a ridiculous funny comedy i make sebastian watch it every year but um but and i love him as deadpool and free guy i thought it was super charming but yeah he like he has to be in the right thing otherwise like with this i was feeling blade's pain i was like because i could feel blade was just like i hate this guy and i was like me too blade <laughs> like i just was like sh you know i just kept looking at ryan reynolds like read the room buddy like no one no one needs this right now and i that's not how i normally feel about him but he was just oh he was on my nerves yeah, no you weren't watching blade you were watching wesley at that point he got yes. out of character <laughs> <laughs> you know i was expecting you know him to sit your five dollar hands down for i make change speech to come out at some point another person who i feel like is kind of not having a good time in this movie is poor chris christopherson oh i mean he has been such a rock of this franchise in the previous two movies i mean he's so important that they bring him back in part two even though it makes no goddamn sense whatsoever Thank I you. had no idea. I was like, wasn't he, wasn't he dead? I'm like, what happened? I thought he was dead. I just watched this. I saw him die. And, and then Sebastian was like, but you didn't see him die. I was like, I guess I didn't. And then this time when he, poor man, is barely there and then he dies, I'm like, I said to Sebastian, I'm like, is he dead for real this time? Yeah. <laughs> he offed himself in the first one. Well, they make up this bullshit about how the vampires took him hostage or yeah. whatever so they could <laughs> turn him into a vampire and torture him. It's just an excuse to bring him back because right. they realized they made a mistake killing him. That's all. Yeah. But in this movie, man, <laughs> he is just like, he, you can tell he does not want to be here. He's like, can we just figure out a way to kill me really quick again so I can go home? And then the poor guy's got to come back later in the movie when Drake takes on his identity. He really seems checked out then. He's just like standing there in an open shirt. I feel bad for the dude. I mean, I'm sure he got a good paycheck and everything, but yeah. Immediately I knew too, like at that point, because I was like, oh, it's old shape-shifting Drake. Yeah. I was like, that's not, I'm like, that's no way. He's not back. I'm like, I know what's going on here. So yeah, what happens is, their hideout gets attacked by the police and stuff. We have a police chief or something played by James Remar, who oh. was only in the beginning of the movie and the end of the movie. That's you right. totally forget all about his character. Or he's like FBI or something. I don't know what he is. Something, he's, like, something that. like that. But he's like, he's featured heavily at the beginning. I'm like, oh, I said, oh, James Remar. And then I did think at one point, I'm like, what happened? Wasn't the FBI chasing, the, <laughs> chasing them at some point? And they were just gone. And then they show up at the end. Yeah, they forget all about that whole plot thread. That yeah. one dude who's an agent ends up being a familiar and he takes them to 
that uh, blood warehouse or whatever you want to call it. Um, right. And that apparently was like the original idea for the movie was like it was going to be about vampires, you know, kidnapping people and keeping them alive and stuff. But, you know, so many other ideas got thrown at the wall that that got lost in the shuffle. Kind of reminds me of that Australian movie, Thirst. Totally. Yep. With uh, Henry Silk recipes. I love that movie. That movie's weird. <laughs> it is. Something else that is I find weird in this movie, and I've seen this movie a bunch of times now, is... Um, the interrogation scene where they've got Blade in the room and they're interrogating him. This whole scene is bizarre to me because, you know, you've got Wesley there, right? And like Wesley's doing something weird where he's trying not to look at the guy or whatever, like all the reaction shots on Wesley. I mean, he's doing something kind of cool, but it doesn't really match the guy who's interrogating him. And the guy who's interrogating him is the guy from waiting for Guffman or whatever. <laughs> His name is um, John Michael Higgins. And it's just a weird scene and it goes on a really long time. And for whatever reason, whenever I think of this movie, I think of this scene, I think of like Wesley in his red tight shirt, like tied up in the chair with his contact lenses in the gold contact lenses. And he's just kind of like not looking at the dude. It's a really weird scene. It's sort of intense, but I, I don't know. I just can't like wrap my head around it for whatever reason. Yeah, the scene is totally weird because of I think it's it's John Michael Higgins is trying to be kind of funny. He's being real cute about like vampires and stuff with with Wesley, like very um, like pandering with him. And like, and, and then, you know, this is when we find out that he is a, a familiar because he uh, takes the, the um, sedative or whatever and shoots it into Wesley's neck. Right. Isn't yeah. that when that happened? Yeah. And so then everything's real slow. And I kind of, I appreciated that because I, I, you know, I forgot or wasn't thinking, I guess that he was going to be a familiar. I, I didn't, that was kind of a surprise to me. I was, wasn't, I wasn't in the right mindset for that. Cause I think I was just so trying to like, again, be like, I really like this actor, but what's he doing here? <laughs> like, again, just to, like, <laughs> I love him in, in comedies, but this is, this is a choice. I'm just gonna keep it real. I do not like dude. I did not like dude. And I, the whole time, this is where I kind of, my mind just kind of checked out. Maybe was looking at my phone or whatever, but I was like, look, just break free and break his motherfucker's neck. Let's just get it on because this <laughs> seems going on and on to the breaking dog. So it was just like, let's, let's kind of speed it up here. I don't know. Uh, see, you know, much respect to Goyer, but, you know, if your job as a screenwriter, just stay a screenwriter. Don't be a director. You're not good at it. You should have got a professional because there's like mundane scenes like that in this movie that kind of run on. You're like, bro, you could have chopped this up. Keep yeah. it pushing. You know what I mean? So this was one of them. But I did like that line where after injection with the serum. He said, uh, you know, so who's the president? Uh, an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, okay, yeah. So that was a funny little scene there. But it took a little too long, but yeah, let's, let's get to the fight. Yeah, and a little too long is right, because I feel like the other Blades were running in about 90 minutes, right? Like, I feel like this one, this one's almost two hours. They're all about two hours. Are they almost two hours? Okay, well, this one felt like two hours. The other two do not feel like two hours. Let's talk a little bit about the Blade character in general. He's got a kind of weird sense of humor, would you say? Like, I, one thing I like to always bring up is in the first movie, in the first scene, which is iconic at that rave with the blood coming out of the ceiling and everything, 
but he gets the Donald Logue character up against the wall with some spikes and he gets the first spike in him and he does this like, yes, kind of thing. (laughs) I kind of love Blade's corny sense of humor. I do too. He enjoys his job, man. (laughs) You know, and I like the fact that he's playing them like in the tradition of, I don't want to say Jack Burton, but those type of guys. Yeah. Where he can can be sarcastic, he can do the one-liners and sell them really well. That's why, you know, I love that first one and the second one. But, yeah, I just like his performances, you know, kind of the cocky, you know, take no, no shit kind of do, you know. And, I mean, his martial arts skills are pretty formidable. I mean, especially in the first two movies. I don't feel like he gets to showcase himself as well in this movie until the end. But, I mean... You got to hand it to him. I think a lot of the martial arts scenes are pretty great and his style and everything. I don't know what sort of martial arts style he uses. Shotokan. And he's like a fifth degree black belt, right? Isn't it like fifth degree or something? And does like, I think he does jujitsu and stuff too. He's all kinds of stuff. Yeah, he knows uh, quite a few uh, martial arts systems. But uh, yeah, I know Shotokan in particular. I like he's like black belt with like fifth degree or something like that. Uh, but yeah, he's real deal with it. He said he's been training since 10 years old. Out of the three movies, the fight choreography in one is, is good. I think the fight choreography in two was probably a little bit better in certain scenes. Because uh, you're having, you know, Jeff Ward. Jeff Ward is bringing, you know, the styles of, you know, boxing, whatever works. So he's bringing boxing. He's bringing martial arts, street fighting, wrestling to Wesley. Then he has the Hong Kong guys like Donnie Yen, where he's fighting a lot of Chinese systems. And you definitely can see it in part two with the swords and everything. And then, you know, in that movie, you can see because of what's going on, Guillermo del Toro and the stunt team, everything is shot wide. It's not choppy like it is in three. It's too choppy. (laughs) You don't get to see uh, Wesley do his thing in this movie. Nope. Yeah, well, maybe it's because he wasn't on set. <laughs> that too. <laughs> you know, but uh, even if it was just a stuntman, you could still, you know, let the scene linger a little bit to show case the fighting and see the choreography, man. Because, you know, Clay Fontenot and Chuck Jeffries and Jeff Ward and all those guys were part of uh, Wesley's team. They're no joke. You can tell the way this movie is sort of cut together that they didn't really shoot the fight scenes as well as they could. And that's always the sign of sort of a green director you know somebody who doesn't have full control over the set the way the editing is and this is very mid 2000s and just the way the action is done in general and there's a lot of shaky cam and stuff in it it's just it's no good especially compared to the other two movies and that's i mean that's one of the stronger things of blade that's a bummer because i think that's something that is unique to blade as far as like especially like at the marvel world i mean he he's fighting vampires and he's a kung fu master like show that off i almost feel like jessica beale gets some better action choreography in some scenes we ought to mention her she's playing abigail whistler whistler's daughter or something they have trouble explaining this because in the first movie whistler talks about how his wife and daughters were killed but then we find out oh no he does have a daughter so they're like oh she was another daughter from another mother she says something like i was uh, extramarital affair and then she's like and i went looking for him and i wanted to join up you know like okay that's it that's the whole backstory like your dad had you out of wedlock and then you just wanted to be a vampire hunter okay 
Put on your iPod and let's have some fights. That iPod, I tell you what, I was like, <laughs> enough with, with your playlist. And it was so like focused on, I was like, yeah, okay, yeah, she makes her playlist. We got that. Like, you know, we, we get to see it like two, at least two, maybe three times. But it was like the last like kind of suit up scene is like, it's like her putting the earbuds in her ears. <laughs> and it's just like, come on. Not only that, but that is a terrible thing to do if you're in a fight. Like, very yes a goddamn ipod right do not have headphones on if you are in a fight right. you'll lose you need your ears <laughs> real quick because we're talking since we're talking about fighting you know the first blade kind of reminds me of uh you know jen you're talking about kung fu master right i would have to say the first blade or wesley snipe style or system in blade kind of reminds me of that of sonny chiba it's not perfectly choreographed it's raw <laughs> you know what I mean? So whatever works, if an eye gouge works, so be it. <laughs> if I got a bite, you know, do whatever. And I think that's one thing I liked about Blade One was that his fighting ability or his style was just adapt to anything. If it works, use it. It's kind of like Bruce Lee with his philosophy, right? Cut all the pretty forms and stuff out. Just get to whatever takes your opponent down. Well, and another thing that he uses, the character anyway, is a whole array of weapons. And these weapons are definitely, I think, a David Goyer thing because I've read some of his scripts and he loves to talk about weapons and stuff. And Blade definitely has some cool weapons. In the first movie, I love that sort of like Blade boomerang thing that he uses. I think that's really cool. It's sort of like a batarang. In this movie, they add that sort of throwing dart thing <laughs> right. that he uses and like Whistler makes for him or whatever. And he, at one point he's like, this worked really well. But I do enjoy Blade's weapon. And of course, he's got the katana sword, which is uh, very important. What happens is Whistler and Hannibal King is played by Ryan Reynolds burst into this interrogation room to save Blade. And they have a big action scene that takes place out in the hallways of this building. And then at a certain point, Blade basically fucks off, right? He's like, <laughs> he's like, he jumps up into like an air vent or whatever. And they're like, where did he go? What the fuck? This is supposed to be a rescue. And later he's going to come smashing out of a window and drop down in front of the building. And he's like, I had to get my sword or whatever. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> right. But this right. was apparently because when they were shooting this whole sequence, Wesley didn't want to be there. So they had to write him out of it. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, I, I like hearing that backstory about it. That's very interesting. But I, I just kind of felt like Wesley doesn't really need you. Like, thanks for breaking him out, but yeah. he's got it from here. <laughs> like, Blade, Blade's like, later, guys. You know, and then, then, I, then he's like, come, yeah, then he drops in. He's like, oh, I had to get my sword or whatever. But Blade doesn't need you. He's got this. VQ, how do you feel about the addition of these two characters? Do you feel like this is taking too much of the focus away from Blade? Oh, absolutely. I hated them both. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's like one of these things where... Look, there's not a lot of black franchises, okay? There's not. And this movie is so revered by my brothers, man. You know, apparently they're going to kill him off, right? And have a spinoff. To have these two guys, <laughs> Jessica Bill, who I'll never forgive making stealth, and <laughs> Ryan Reynolds kill Wesley off and then have these two. It's, it was so insulting. 
like I said, I didn't like Ryan Reynolds in this. I didn't like her in this. There's a female, black female blade that you, if you Google or search, right, you couldn't find two black characters to pick up the mantle. Right. Why are you going to kill the black man off and got, <laughs> got two white characters? Oh, yeah, I was heated. Sorry, I was heated. Send all hate mail to me. But it was it was just so like a kick in the nuts to do that and then to read about all what happened. Yeah, I was definitely not feeling uh uh Hannibal King and, and, and Miss Whistler. It was like once again, man, uh Hollywood is ruining it for me, man. <laughs> yeah. I also was not happy to have these two characters either. It just felt like such a cousin Oliver in the Brady Bunch. (laughs) Scrappy do. Scrappy do. Cousin Oliver. Like such like, okay, we're at number three. Like we better bring in these two young, good looking kind of like hot actors of the time. And doesn't matter that they're not the right fit. Like I said, throughout the thing, I, I just felt Blade's pain and Wesley's pain is like, you know, what do I have to do with these, like these brats, you know, like, why are they here? Well, and that's definitely Definitely the attitude that the Blade character is giving them throughout the movie. He's just like, (laughs) you are amateurs and stuff. He calls them all out. The Night Stalkers, I believe they're called. Which was a pretty sweet name because I do love the Night Stalker, but he does like he he, he bags on their name too. Yeah, I couldn't take seriously the whole skater, you know, vibe of this this thing. Like, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? You know, I'm, I'm thinking like, whatever happened to Karen Jensen? You know, in Boucher, right? I mean, that sister should have been had an action role somewhere other than Blade and Dead Presidents. Like, she should have been the Whistler character. Yeah, she would have been great. But I, I was looking because I was like, what happened? Because she's a great actor. And it seems like I think she's more of like a theater or stage type. I think that's I don't know if she maybe she didn't want to be in films because I, I was reading and like she has like she trained with like um alvin ellie and i mean like like real like she's a real like dancer performing arts you know person so i'm wondering if maybe she just didn't want it because i said the same thing i was like what happened to karen where'd she go like what you know like we don't do we get karen in the next one this is after watching the first one he's like nope (laughs) she's she's gone such a letdown yeah and they set her up to be somebody that's going to be in his crew and stuff yeah so it it was weird that they didn't bring her over into the sequels But I mean, come on, guys. I mean, if you're not loving these two characters, you have to love the rest of the team, right? Um, Oh, no. (laughs) Again, with just like, I do love, I I love Patton Oswalt. I love Natasha Lyonne, but my God, what are they doing here? What is happening? (laughs) Well, especially Natasha Lyonne. Patton Oswalt is just playing the Q role. And he's only in for a few scenes before he's unceremoniously killed off screen by Drake. <laughs> but like Natasha Leone, what is going on with this character? Like first oh of God. all, she's blind the character. So her performance is completely weird on that level. And then she's also got this kid and it feels like right. they just threw this kid in there so they'd have like a kid to be in danger in the climax because who friggin' cares about this kid? This kid becomes like oh we've got to save the little girl and it's like why who cares it's not like she's anything special <laughs> no they just threw her in there too it's like the i had the exact same thing i was like this kid is just like literally trying they're trying to up the ante with her and like make us like care and we don't care there's a scene with, what's what's the young lady's name natasha Leon, that's it yep yeah okay 
I've seen this scene quite a few times, and it's a pet peeve that I have. Uh, the found footage. If you're watching this video, <laughs> I'm probably dead. Yeah. I hate that. <laughs> I was telling Jen I'm going to leave her videos where I'm like, if you're watching this, I'm probably dead. I've seen that in so many. It irritates. Dude, see, it's like well, that's lazy writing. It's so cliche. It's like one of those things where, you know, if someone's trying to kill you, am I going to stop and make a video to leave behind <laughs> a clue? No, I am not. <laughs> And the fact that, you know, oh, hey, they left us a message. Oh, she left us a I can't think of this young lady's name, uh, her character name. But and first of all, you're blind. How the fuck you handle the camera? Right. <laughs> One. I mean, you know, it, it up so perfectly, right? So it's like, oh, God. Please, writers, don't ever put that in there. Please, it's, it's insulting. <laughs> I'm now deleting one of those scenes from one of my scripts. Hey, Scream 2 did it. I'm trying to think of something else. Oh, there are tons of movies. Yeah, I was rolling my eyes. I was like, here we go. Now, we're, now we've got this yeah. added into the mix. Ugh. This yeah. section of the movie just goes on forever, too. It's like, I don't care about anything that's going on here in this warehouse where they're hiding out or whatever. It's just really kind of tiresome. You can tell they didn't have a lot of money kept going back to the hideout, certain parts of Canada, and then hide out again, and then look like, <laughs> I call it a damn mall at the end, but this whole movie kind of goes on cruise control. Well, and the whole plot is just so flimsy. They just keep going from place to place and being like, well, we need to check this out because right. whatever, you know, some dumb reason, and they go there. You don't feel any real forward momentum to the story at all. No, and... PQ, that last scene does look like a mall. It looks like the Galleria. <laughs> well, we also get the scene where where Drake walks by, like the the hot topic, the vampire store. Yeah, <laughs> comes in there, and the two like the hot topicy looking employees are just like one guy's eating his count chocula cereal uh, and you just uh, see uh, the exploitation. i like dracola though i would definitely <laughs> drink some dracola i would drink some dracola too i do like that jam that's playing though it's i don't know if it's rizza or something oh yeah it is it's got um the uh venus and furs velvet underground oh, sample okay. it's cool okay that's the sort of droning sort of sitari sounding thing that's in the background but yeah the that jam is really cool. It's, and they bring it up again at the end, too. And, like, they show Drake walking in, like, time-lapse photography around him or whatever. It's so dumb. Uh, yeah, that was awful. That was awful. That was awful. That must have been the day, you know, Wesley was not on set. They're like, we need to shoot something. Yeah. So, yeah, so let's just walk down Canada and, you know, in slow motion. And, oh, man, that dude has a personality of it. Or man, I mean, I'm like, <laughs> I can't stand looking at his face personally. He just bugs me. He's on prison break, right? Yeah. If you want just sort of like a thuggish bruiser, then fine. Like playing like a bouncer or something, great. But like as Dracula, come on. No. Yeah. And there's that whole scene where like Blade chases him through the building and he has the baby and he's standing at the edge of the roof with the baby. You know what else I don't like about this movie too? Everything seems to be in the daytime. Like, you know, Blade is walking around with a fucking sword in the middle of the afternoon. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's got his suit on. And yeah, I know this is not reality and all that, but to me, the, the night scenes worked a lot better than those daytime scenes. I don't think no vampire movie should be 
said during the daytime, not like this. Well, that's because Drake can go out during the day because he's like a super vampire or whatever. Oh, and that name Drake. Oh. Drake. No, because now I don't think of Dracula. I think of the, the rapper I hate. <laughs> so yes. It's like, it's like, oh. It doesn't do any any favors. No, it doesn't. Anything. It just doesn't. I was like, oh, Drake. Drake. One thing I did like, though, and Annie, our dog, liked a lot, too, was the vampire dogs. Oh, vampire yeah. Pomeranians. <laughs> and, the, and the Rottweilers, too. There was three of them at the end, and Annie was losing it. She was, like, all jumping up at the screen and barking. Triple H had the Pomeranian. And then, and then I was like, oh, they've been doing experiments on these dogs. So that was, I mean, that was something, I guess. <laughs> yeah, the dogs have those, like, jaws that open the yeah. Reaper vampires. The Guillermo del Toro-lookiness uh, monsters. And when Drake is in his monster form, which is the right. better form, right. he yes. also has that uh, extendable opening jaw and all that. So that's cool. That's cool they brought that back. But we only get it, like two times i do sort of enjoy the scene where uh parker posey is interrogating ryan reynolds for some reason they've taken off ryan reynolds's shirt so we can see his eight pack or whatever <laughs> he's in good shape you got to admit it wasn't this just around the time of the amityville remake yes. where he was like chopping wood with a shirt off and puts in the work but yeah they have him there it's like this is for the ladies we've got him shirtless <laughs> and he's got his familiar like snail trail tattoo like like all this because also like everybody because this was just the time i think as well of like this time of the mid-2000s where it's like everybody's wearing the really low-cut pants and i was like no not everybody needs to wear well, jessica beals in like a belly shirt the whole movie yes yeah ryan reynolds even had like real low-cut pants yeah. too and i don't know is this the part where he like nearly died or did that already happen they already got him and didn't he already die or almost die yeah and he gets they... wounded and then they take him back to the hideout but I do enjoy how, like, the Parker Posey character is torturing him, and she's like, I'm going to turn you into a vampire again, because I guess he was a vampire before, but they cured him or something. I don't know. They did that to Whistler, so I guess you can do that in this world. You can turn people back, but... Then she's going to turn him into a vampire and then make him feed on the little girl. I like that. Oh, wow. That was a nice touch. She's like, you won't be able to handle the thirst and you'll have to feed on her. It's just like, <laughs> Damn. I mean, I guess they're up in the stakes with that then. I mean, if we still just don't really care that much about this poor little girl, but okay. <laughs> so like the big MacGuffin, I guess you'd say of this movie is that the Natasha Leone character has developed some sort of virus that if it gets into dracula it's gonna be airborne and be able to kill all the vampires did this make any sense to you all no, no. <laughs> and nor did i care i knew she's doing some sort of bio warfare whatever biochemical something or another right. but i i could not follow the logic as to what was going there was like silver particles or something right. at some point too in the air yeah she puts it into this like arrowhead and you know the goal is to jab drake with the arrowhead and it's gonna get into his bloodstream and it's gonna then kill all the vampires that's the deal and we forgot to mention because jessica beale's whistler's daughter i don't remember what her name abigail is. whistler oh sorry abby abigail whistler <laughs> is uh is a big uh 
archer. You know what's kind of confusing, though, about that is so she's got this bow and arrow weapon, right? But then they also have this weapon that's like a light arc that can kill vampires this it looks like a bow but there's this like energy beam going across it which she also uses that and i just remember when i first saw the movie i'm like i think she's got some sort of bow or something that's got like a laser beam in it or whatever but it's actually like two separate weapons it's like pick one either have that or the bow and arrow you can't have both because it's confusing and she's got a huge hand cannon that she looks ridiculous holding too. Yeah, I mean the recoil on that pistol <laughs> jerk her back. So it was just yeah, better off just holding a bow and arrow. The weapons are a little over the top in this movie. Way over the top, but I do like his uh double uh, blade, double barrel. Uh, what is it? Uh, it's like a shotgun, but it had a. Uh, uh, the stakes in it at the beginning. I did like that weapon. I like it whenever he shoots stakes at people. I think that's fun. More stake shooting. <laughs> That's what Blade Trinity needed. It just needed some more stake shooting. We could have forgotten about all these other things that we didn't like. Ryan Reynolds is being held in this building and they want to save the little girl. So we get the big suit up sequence that Jen was talking about that goes on forever. Oh, and uh, I do think it's hilarious. The scene where they find Natasha Leone's dead body and... Abigail's like cradling her body and crying and Blade's like, use it, use it. Didn't he do that in part two? I'm just out of curiosity. Or is that the part one? No, I think you're right, VQ. I, that's, it sounds familiar. Like he said it before and I think he might've been in part two. Yeah, I think he did. So yeah, we get this big action fight in this building that looks like it's a mall or something. It kind of reminded me a little bit of the set they used at the end of Quantum of Solace. It looks sort of similar <laughs> to that. But it's kind of like a lot. There's like three different fights going on at the same time. And, you know, it just kind of gets sort of repetitive and boring. But the Wesley stuff is pretty cool. Like we get a lot of Wesley sword fighting Drake. That's cool, right? No. <laughs> no, in fact, in fact, that was that was a big disappointment too. I mean, this fight scene. Maybe I just wanted the film to be done, but I didn't feel like the climactic battle was earned. For me, it was just like let's just hurry and get the movie over. Whereas before with Blade and Frost, I really wanted those two to fight and get it on. Right? Pause. But so this that that fight scene was too choppy. You can tell. Uh, well, he wasn't there. It was Clay Fontenot. <laughs> and, you know, and it was just it was just really bad, man. You really couldn't see the fight choreography whatsoever. You know what I mean? That, that's pretty much all I have to say about it. I mean, it was just so disappointing. Only thing he hit him with is a back kick. You know, spin roundhouse, knocks him through the door, he flies through the window. And that was another thing that I didn't like about these fight scenes, too. It seemed like Blade only had one kick. He did a spinning roundhouse, and people just fly through the door. <laughs> that was it, you know what I mean? So sword battle and then didn't turn to wrestling it was just like uh it was not the best battle out of the two other movies he does a lot of like quick rabbit punching type of moves on people throughout this movie a lot and they really jack up the sound of like the impact and stuff so it really hits you in the chest metaphorically whenever he's hitting someone in the chest <laughs> right 
But yeah, definitely lackluster in comparison to the other two movies. Jen, I know you have battle fatigue. Uh, were you feeling it? Yes, I was. And I think it was also, I was even feeling it more after seeing the other two movies that I didn't have battle fatigue in. You know, maybe if I had had some distance from the other two movies that are good, but you guys are fans and you had to like wait for this one to come out and you felt disappointment. So I don't think, I think I still would have been disappointed no matter what. I think you had a very natural reaction to the sort of lackluster finale of this movie. I really liked one and two. Like I, I really did. And I can't even decide honestly, because there's things that I, I tried to like figure out which one I like better, but there's things that I like, I, I appreciate in two, like Guillermo del Toro bringing his cool monsters in there. Like I'm here for that. But I like the whole setup and I like Wesley, I think, the most as Blade and and Blade in the first one. Yeah. Right. I just feel like he's really doing it and he's like in his like stride and he just like is this character. And I just kind of feel like he's still doing it in two, but he's not quite as stoked about it. And then by three, he's just like, This sucks. Like I felt like I really saw that progression. I kind of blame some of part two for three as well. That wrestling scene in part two, it disappointed a lot of people, especially guys I know that are uh, into martial arts. That whole WWE wrestling fight scene at the end of part two spilled over into three. I'm talking about uh, the fight scene with Wesley and uh, the Joss character, Luke Goss, at the end where it's like they got kind of a you know, no holds bar, anything goes fight, right? And you see a lot of grappling, you see a lot of wrestling moves being incorporated to the fight it was cool until they start adding you know cgi and all that stuff to the fights yeah and then that spilled over to part three i was like ah no you need to go back to what the first one had i think unfortunately part two was made at a time when digital stunt people started coming into vogue and so they realized like, hey, we can make our characters do these crazy things that human beings couldn't do, but the technology wasn't really up to par yet because I remember even noticing it when I first saw Blade 2, that scene where they're fighting in front of those Klieg lights when the two ninjas invade Blade's lair. It's like the fight's going really good and then suddenly there's like a third act to the fight where you know, things get all CG and they're doing things that normal people couldn't do and flying around and stuff. And a similar thing happens in the Matrix Reloaded like a year right. later. Now digital stunt doubles have at least gotten better so that they're not as completely noticeable. But back then it was like, you know, okay, guys, we don't really need this. And I always feel like it's just kind of like this added thing that you just didn't need. Like, just end the fight a little sooner before you get to that point, and we're all good. But, you know, they wanted to push the technology, so there you go. It's in there. I feel like, if anything, Blade Trinity, there's not as much digital stunt double stuff, at least not that I noticed. Uh, you know, here and there, but not too much. Not like part two. We're at the end of the movie. Uh, now, I know this movie kind of has several endings. We watched, I don't know, the unrated cut or whatever's on the Blu-ray. And at the end of that movie, they inject Drake with this virus thing. You know, everybody's like, well, Blade might die because he's a daywalker, meaning he's part vampire too. So 
you know, it's like Blade's going to make this sacrifice to kill Drake. But then in the version we watched, you know, all the vampires die and then they think Blade's dead and they take him away to the morgue, but then he wakes up in the morgue and then at the end of the movie, he's riding off on his motorcycle as Ryan Reynolds does narration. VQ, is that the version you watched too? Yes, it is. I've never seen the uh, version you're talking about though. I think in the theatrical version, it's slightly different. Like they left it as though maybe Blade died or something, but this version is pretty definitive that he's not dead. He's still out there. All right. <laughs> but sadly, Blade was not to return, at least not played by Wesley Snipes. We did get a Blade a TV show starring Steve. Sticky Fingers. Sticky Fingers. That's right. I did watch a couple of episodes of that. I was not terribly impressed. Have you seen it, VQ? I've seen one episode and never looked back. Yeah. That that was it. I was like, you know, if I'm a vampire, let me just step out to the sun. I can't do it. (laughs) Sticky Fingers, Onyx, God bless his brother. But yeah, he was not played. So, yeah, I mean, this movie effectively killed the Blade franchise. It ended up making, you know, some money overseas and stuff, but they didn't make another one after this, and the Night Stalkers did not get their spinoff. So, Uh, yay! (laughs) Jennifer, why do you think this failed? Wow, Uh, so many reasons. Um, I just still can't wrap my head around the casting for this. All these people that they added into the mix don't make don't make sense. The only person that I could kind of accept. I mean, it's so loose with the way they try to connect her, you know, as like being Whistler's daughter or whatever. It's like maybe if it just would have been Jessica Biel, I maybe could have gone a little easier on it. But like you throw in Ryan Reynolds, Patton Oswalt, Natasha Leone. Uh, John Michael Higgins, like, I like all of those people so much that it could have gone like a different way. I could have been like, oh, but this is, you know, fun or whatever. They're here. But I think, again, because I had watched the other two movies, which I think are both good and I enjoyed, it just doesn't feel like a a Blade movie to me. Well said. Uh, VQ, why do you think this failed? (laughs) I think word of mouth. You know, yeah, Ryan Reynolds, uh, yeah, excuse me, and Jessica Biel was choice and when it got back that blaze character was getting killed off i think it alienated the base which are black men i mean you're not a black man sebastian but neither am i yeah but when that <laughs> got out when that got out it was like oh here go hollywood again so that battle that bad word of mouth probably just carried over into the streets I'm like yo man this about the blade movie's whack don't go see it you know what I mean? And also, yeah, it was, and plus the vampire lore stories were starting to fall out of favor a little bit too. Yeah. It was too, it was, it was a moment where it was like, damn, every movie coming out with some goddamn vampires. So, all in all, let me give the film some props, right? If I was strapped to a chair with a bomb or detonator at four seconds and said I had a choice between Blade 3 or Spawn, uh-huh. Blade 3, you in the house, family. <laughs> That's damning with faint praise. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And shout out to Spawn. I mean, Michael J. White, but boy, I I tried to watch it recently. 
Lane Trinity is goddamn uh, Citizen Kane. It is it, it, so so. I'm gonna give it some props. I'm gonna give it a little bit of props. You know, it, it was just you know you should have found a solid director to handle the movie as opposed to David Goyer and uh, you know Wesley. We need you back, brother. We need you back. That's all I got to say. I don't hate this movie. I've watched it a few times. I do think it's definitely easily the worst of the three. Yeah. It's guilty of just being mediocre, and that's too bad because the other two movies, I think, are cut above for action movies and even comic book movies. I mean, we didn't even really mention this, but Blade is really kind of the start of the Marvel Universe on film, really, honestly. It's the first yeah. Marvel Comics character to get out there, and you know, after that, it was X-Men, and then after that was the Spider-Man movies that were really set the modern comic book film trend in motion. And I think that's one thing that you have to take into consider that by 2004, Blade had started this trend, a comic book trend, and now it's getting towards its height. You know, Spider-Man 2 came out this year. Batman Begins was going to come out next year, also written by David Goyer. So, like, we were really sort of climbing up the hill to the apex, and I feel like... You know, as far as a comic book movie goes, this movie's kind of now behind the pack and it's not really measuring up to the better comic book movies of the time. So it's sort of like one of those situations where it's like, well, the progenitor now is the follower and it's just not really cutting it as much. So I think, unfortunately, yeah, the quality of the movie and like VQ said, the word of mouth wasn't good and. The reason why the word of mouth wasn't good was because they sidelined their main character <laughs> for these other characters who just aren't that great. And it's a weird cast and there's Dracula in it and it's the worst Dracula <laughs> you can <laughs> ever imagine. I may not be a black man, but I am a vampire. <laughs> and let me tell you, we were disappointed with this portrayal of our dude, Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> that's the worst dracula of all time we can i think we can all agree that dracula is the worst definitely i even think the dracula and van helsing is better than this dracula and that dracula sucks so yeah that's how bad yeah. this guy is dracula untold dracula is better there's so many draculas that are better than gerard this butler played dracula dracula 2000 i would have taken him too i would have taken yeah. him over this dude any day yeah, because at one point, my man was doing those uh, romantic comedies and breaking real hard. Gerard Butler. Yeah, so he, need, he needed a movie like this. <laughs> totally. You know, Marvel, give him one more. I wanted to bring that up. Like, now we're looking at a Blade reboot starring Mahershala Ali. VQ, how do you feel about this? You know, I'm still going to be partial to Wesley, but uh, I think uh, my brother would knock it out. I think he'll do a good job. I just want to know who's a solid director, man. If you get a solid director and a good script, man, I'm all for it. But I do believe that Wesley deserves one more shot. It would be cool if they brought him in to some capacity. Like, even right. if he's not Blade, maybe being, like, I don't know, a mentor character or something. That's what I was thinking. Like, he's, you know, handed down the sword to Mahershala or something like that. Like, I mean, I think it would also be 
good. I mean, I think most people like Mahershala anyway, but I mean, it would, it, I think that always helps if you can have the person who was the, the original, like kind of give their blessing to the new guy. Yeah. Didn't they say they, um, the director, they couldn't find another director for that new one. Yeah. The director quit there. It's definitely having problems. They announced it years ago and they said they were going to start filming soon. And they've been sort of trying to, set up this you know dark side of the marvel universe with like moon knight and werewolf by night and all of that stuff and you know blade would be sort of fitting right in there or be the centerpiece of this but they can't seem to get this movie off the ground which is pretty frustrating i don't know what the deal is you know i've heard rumors just that the script wasn't good and then the director wasn't happy with, with the way things were going and so he left and so now they're looking for a new director. Uh, yeah, we'll see. Uh, Ernest? Ernest Dickerson, are you there? I know. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Even if they made Blade TV show on Disney, Ernest Dickerson does a lot of television, so that'd be perfect too. So yeah. Either way, big screen, small screen streaming, yeah. Yeah, Ernest has done some great TV stuff. I'm excited for it. I hope that it happens and it happens soon. And, you know, I think that if you're going to really do this, you've got to do it with a kind of a new take. I mean, obviously Mahershala is not a martial artist. And so he's not going to be bringing necessarily that element to the character, but, you know, having read the comics, I know that the character in the comics is a little different than what Wesley's doing. So I think there's like room there for like a new interpretation. You know, I just wouldn't want to see Mahershala Ali like dressing like Wesley and with the shades and all of that. You know what I mean? Like right. it's got to be different or otherwise just get Wesley and have him do it. Absolutely. <laughs> He's got to make it his own. Otherwise it's going to be weird. And I don't, I mean, he doesn't have the, that I'm aware of. He doesn't have the martial arts background, so he wouldn't be able to bring that to the table. So he's got to do his own thing. If you have people like uh Spiral Rosatos or, you know, guys over at a seven 11, I think uh, they can make anybody good on screen in terms of martial arts. I can't wait to see it, man. Do your thing, you know, not, you know, wow us. Wait for it. All right, guys. Well, I'm going to go uh, take off my shirt and show off my uh, six-pack abs and uh, drink a little Dracola. <laughs> Count Chocula. Word, <laughs> <laughs> word. That about does it today for Tentpole Trauma. If you like what you heard, check out our social media presence on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just look for Tentpole Trauma. That was easy, wasn't it? If you like us, hit subscribe and leave us a sterling review on iTunes, if you dare. If you really like us, head over to Patreon.com and get involved in one of our fabulous tiers. You'll be glad you did. Want to communicate with Tentpole Trauma? Send an email to tentpoletrauma at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And who knows, one day you may even get your email read on one of our shows. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll see you real soon.